0: to the bloke and the bird show. So stop me if you've heard this before. Okay. We were gonna do a show last I've week. Heard stop. This one, stop. But- it, stop.
1: <laughs> I think we've done this before. It's feeling a little like deja vu. So what what's our excuse this week?
0: You know, I don't actually have one. I you know so I think we watched yeah we got through the race late. Yes. Cuz we went to the Illinois Railroad Museum, completely unrelated, but we took the MG, so it was car related.
1: Well, they did have their antique transportation extravaganza.
0: Yes, vintage transport extravaganza.
1: That's it. It was a vintage
0: their 30th f- annual.
1: Yes. And thus the MG was there and was mm-hmm. essentially, well, one of two MGs there. Period. And
0: the now, there were only- three.
2: 3 It was the only MGB, but there was a midget behind us, and then in the other lot, there was another MG.
0: Yeah, I believe that was a TC. No.
2: That's a Triumph.
0: No. Um, It was one of the older, the the older style ones. So an A? No, older than the A.
1: Oh. Okay. Okay. I do not recall that one. But anyway, I was the only MGB there, which is really odd, because normally they're, like, everywhere.
0: Yeah. The other MG was over by, if I remember correctly, it was the Oldsmobiles or the Chevys? It was over by the the Fargo No, no. It was over by the street, where the streetcar stop was.
2: Yeah, which is where the Model Ts were. Well, the Model
0: Ts were all the way back in the big field. This That's was true. over by the main station where we saw the, the guy in his MG jumpsuit.
1: Oh, I bet that was his. <clears throat> yeah. Okay.
0: But it wasn't with. Uh, see, it, at least our MG was with some European cars. And this and a one Mustang. was not.
2: True. And, and a, a Mustang. Mustang.
0: And a Plymouth. Which, Which we don't, we don't no know sense. why either of those were there.
1: No. But we had a Volvo on one side of us and a Porsche on the other side of us.
0: And there was a Fiat.
1: There was a Fiat? A Ferrari. There was more than one Fiat because remember the guy tried to sell me a 76 yes. Fiat.
0: We didn't buy it.
1: No. no.
0: <clears throat> and there was a Ferrari and a Mercedes. That was like the extent of the import section.
1: There was a
2: Peugeot.
0: Oh, yes. There was a Peugeot as well. And oddly enough, you know, there was the import section with that small handful of cars and the Mustang and the Plymouth. And then all the way back with the Model Ts were a bunch of triumphs. Yeah. Yeah. I, we couldn't figure out the, the organization.
1: Well, on, All the Volkswagens were together.
0: Yeah. They, they were together too. They in. They, they got a section.
1: Yeah. I think if you had enough of a showing, um, you got your own suction. Well, probably. We, we were just in the ubiquitous import section.
0: Apparently, there's not a lot of surviving MGs in the Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa area.
1: Which really surprises me because there's MGs all over Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. But it also depends on where there was a dealer. And we don't know because there was a very large... I'm sure large there
0: was a dealer in I would have been... I'd be stumped. In
1: Chicago, maybe. Yeah. But um, there was a very large dealer in Northeast Ohio. And they that was a very popular common car in that yeah. area because of the size of the dealership. So,
0: anyway. So, that's what we did, but um why we didn't record so we, we finished lazy. late. yeah that we, was, were we lazy. forgot that we didn't forget that we did not do
1: we were lazy we made a decision i think we said oh well we'll record tomorrow night and then didn't do that yeah or something like that
0: so we did have actually a pretty good race last week
1: we really did there were a lot of things that happened And a lot of um, things that threw wrenches into the strategies.
0: Yeah, but before we get to that, we have to talk about what happened the Thursday before the race. Okay. So the Thursday before the race was Red Bull's hearing of their appeal of Lewis Hamilton's penalty in a British Grand Prix. Now, remember, That in order for these appeals to be successful, the requirement from the FIA, and we've seen this happen a couple of times, but the requirement from the FIA is that evidence needs to be presented that is substantially new and was not available to the stewards at the time of the event. But it has to be actual evidence. Correct. So the hearing was held. Everything was virtual. And the appeal was basically thrown out. Okay.
1: So they didn't have new evidence.
0: Well, what what Red Bull presented as new evidence, they presented um, a couple of things. Item number one that they presented was simulation run that they ran in their simulator of the event.
1: Why would that have been evidence? That's not evidence. That's a reenactment. Evidence is like telemetry that the stewards didn't have. Evidence is the side of the car (coughs) after somebody did the investigation to see that somebody's paint was on one section and they thought it was on another section.
0: So Red Bull's position was that Lewis had no chance of making that corner. on the At the speed he was going on the line that he was on, there was no chance that Lewis would have made that corner and that Lewis needed to back out of it. And if he didn't, he was at fault. That was the point that they were trying to prove. Okay. And that was what they did in the simulator to show that. However, they weren't done. Oh, okay. Red Bull also had Alex Albin Now to be clear, this was not a special filming day. this was already scheduled They had a, a filming day that was scheduled after uh, the race weekend in Silverstone with a two-year-old car that was supposed to be with their young driver Academy. Oh again, two-year-old car though and, and the the rules state that, and, and this is why it's important that this was a two-year-old car. The rules state that with a two-year-old car, you have unlimited mileage. Right. Anything newer than two years, you only get about a hundred miles. And the thought being is, that if it's older than two miles, it's not oh, relevant for two testing, years. or older than two years, it's not relevant for testing. Correct. <clears throat> so that's the that's the idea behind that. So they took this already scheduled filming day. And they went to Alex Alvin, and they said, "Hey, we need you to go hop in this car and drive this one corner and make sure you hit the line exactly like this and try and get as close to the speed that Lewis was going as possible." So Red Bull called up Alex Alvin, said, "Go do go recreate this." And they filmed it.
1: So wait a minute, I think you I think you just buried the lead. Red Bull called Alex Albin and asked him to drive like Lewis Hamilton.
0: Well, yeah, there was that, too.
1: <laughs> no, 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 that is <clears throat> what they asked him to do. Um, one could argue that that's not a physical possibility.
0: Well, yeah. So, But that is what Red Bull presented to the stewards as their substantially new evidence that was not available
1: well it wasn't available because it didn't exist
0: yes see that's the thing so the the letter that was issued in response of this stated that what was presented to the stewards was not a quote significant and relevant new element that was discovered which was unavailable to the parties seeking the review at the time of the decision concerned The slides in Appendix 2 of the competitor's letter that were relied upon as new evidence were not discovered, but created for the purposes of submissions to support the petition for review, and they were created based on evidence that was available to the competitor at the time of the decision, namely the GPS data. That clearly does not satisfy the requirements of Article 14.
1: Okay. But... They wouldn't be Red Bull if they didn't object. They wouldn't be Red Bull if they didn't challenge it. So they created something to be able to save face for their challenge. It was going to get thrown out all along because the reality is at the end of the day, Lewis got a penalty and he still won the race. So moving on.
0: There was one other thing, and and this is what's got a bit of at least some questioning going into last weekend was th- these two paragraphs that were in the letter. And that's all we know because we didn't see what was submitted by Red Bull. We haven't seen any of it. None of it was released. All we got was the response letter from the stewards to the hearing. Okay. And there was this in here. The stewards note, with some concern, certain allegations made in the competitor's above letter. Such allegations may or may not have been relevant to the stewards if the petition for review had been granted. The stewards may have addressed these allegations directly in any decision that would have followed. The petition, having been dismissed, the stewards make no comments on those allegations.
1: OK.
0: Yeah. So that's been the big question.
1: What's the allegation?
0: Right. Nobody really knows. Wow. Now Mercedes did issue a statement that said that, you know should put the, this should firmly put everything behind us and we don't appreciate the attempts to tarnish Lewis Hamilton's reputation and things of that nature. But nobody said what these allegations were. Hmm. So, you know, the best that I can come up with, and, and again, this is a guess based on what the wording is here, based on Mercedes' statement, is that there's some kind of allegation that was made in there claiming that this was an indication that Lewis is a dirty driver. Yeah. I'm not sure you can get there. Well,
1: we all don't think that you can get there. I don't think you can square that circle.
0: But. I mean, Lewis has, especially in the last, what, three years, had quite a few incidents. Mm-hmm. And that comes after several years of really, he was super squeaky clean driving. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you, you could potentially, Potentially argue that he's not as neat of a driver as he used to be. Yeah. But I'm not sure you could go so far as to say he's a dirty driver.
1: Well, that's the thing. Is you look at holistic career history. Quite frankly, Max has got a much deeper reputation for riding that edge.
0: That's the thing.
1: This is Red Bull trying to paint a picture that is very odd given all of his history.
0: You know, I I think it's obvious that a lot of it is Red Bull is stinging from the fact that, you know, they got no points that weekend. Yep. And yeah, Lewis got his penalty, but he still won... The race, well, actually, it's not true that they didn't get any points that weekend. They got the points for Saturday because there were points from the sprint race. Correct. But that was, what, three points where they were expecting to get a lot more. And and I think that's where there's been a lot of the the scrambling from them over a race ban and all of these other things because they're looking for anything in what they know is going to be a tight, tight race to reclaim these points
1: well that and add to that the fact that they also have realized that um both max and sergio have had to take on that third engine already so they're also going to be starting from close to the back of the grid in some upcoming race lewis is not facing that penalty yeah so they are i mean boffins are smart they're doing the math that Coming from, even if he put it on pole, coming from 15th through the grid on some of these tracks is not going to be easy. So, you know, honestly, within two races, both the British Grand Prix and then followed up by what happened in Hungary, um, they're on the back foot. They went from being more than a race ahead to being behind.
0: They are. Um, I I, I don't think the season is lost for them yet. Um, And I don't think that they're anywhere close to being at risk of that yet. Um, Yeah, it's not as comfortable as they thought it was looking. But I I would not call the championship. the, The championship at this point. Now, we did say or at least I willingly said, what, a month, month and a half ago, that I thought the prospects for Lewis to win the championship were dimming. I don't think they've gotten a whole lot brighter. Yes, there were two good weekends, and we'll talk more about Hungary in a bit. Yeah, there were two good weekends, but overall, I'm not seeing Mercedes show the pace that they need to win the championship this year. It's going to come down to strategy and it's going to come down to luck and some of these other things. And Mercedes doesn't get strategy right all the time, a lot of times when they're under pressure.
2: And keep in mind with a lot of what I've been saying this season, it's very much in that pit lane <clears throat> battle area. And Red Bull is very much known for their speedy mm-hmm. um, pit pit stops.
1: You're right. You're very right. Um, so there's there's definitely some of that. I think, I think that quite frankly, this is going to be one of those seasons that it's going to come down to the last race, it, we're gonna. It, this is not going to become mathematically impossible too early unless one of them truly falls apart and you know spoilers we're going to talk about a struggle that Lewis may be facing
0: and it's been about nine years since it's come down to the last race
1: exactly however there was a a bright spot
0: well we've got other news first okay other stuff first um Williams has come out this week and they have said that um, Doralton Capital and the sale of the team to Doralton has been good. There has been increased investment. Um, and even before um, we had the double points finished for them, they came out and said that they are in a stable enough position that they don't need to rely on paid drivers.
1: Nice. That's actually great news.
0: It's great news. Except if you're... Nick Latifi.
1: Well, yeah, because that's how you got your seat. Right. Yeah.
0: So that doesn't exactly fill him, I'm sure, with a whole lot of confidence. Um, His contract is up this year. George's contract is up this year. Uh, Who knows where this could go?
1: I only think that there'll be a shift is if Valtteri... Isn't picked up at Mercedes.
2: Are paid drivers ones like Mazza Spin, in which like daddy just decides, say, hey guys, have some money and have my son be in your team? Yes. Okay.
0: Essentially, yes.
2: Or they bring sponsorships that pay
1: for them and the team to get money. Mm-hmm. So that was how Pastor Maldonado got his seat um, in some ways. And although he's not a pay driver now, uh, Sergio Perez comes with Carlos Slim money, which mm-hmm. is a lot of money. Um, so, and that's that's the big delicate balance. They talk about pay drivers, those that are paying for their seat versus paid drivers where the teams pay them. But the paid drivers still bring in their own sponsors, which help the team too.
0: Yeah, you know, for years, um, Fernando Alonso was very closely aligned with Santander the the Spanish banking company um there's there's a lot of drivers who have those close connections and you'll see that those sponsors move across with them um Kevin Magnuson the the Jack and Jones sponsorship that Haas picked up was because of their agreement with Kevin Magnuson and Mm-hmm. We see that w- with other drivers, but there's a difference between a Pastor Maldonado where the only thing that was keeping him in that seat was his money as opposed to a Magnuson or some of these other drivers where it's the talent and the money is a bonus.
1: And that's where I think Sergio is at this point. Yeah. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, all
0: right. So talk about Hungary and the qualifying. So there was a lot of talk about the la- Lewis. Well, the very last opening of Q three, and the outlap that Lewis Hamilton took, mm. and a lot of talk about how Lewis. W- w- there was game- gamesmanship or strategy, or Lewis was somehow playing games to bottle up the Red Bulls.
1: So. He was one of the first ones out in that melee.
0: And the key thing there, one of. Right. Not the first.
1: One of the first. Right. But the uh, accusation was made that he was going slower because, so the clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. And the goal in any qualifying session is that you want, because the rubber's being laid down, the track is always improving, you really want to be the last car to be able to cross the line for a flying lap right before the checkered flag goes.
0: With one additional caveat. You want to be far enough back from the car in front of you that you're not impacted by their wake turbulence.
1: Right. So there's a, it's a magic window and it's literally like seconds. Mm -hmm. So Lewis is one of the, one of the first cars out. They have about three minutes left in the session. And and trust me, I'm not going to get these, these times correct a hundred percent, but they're looking at doing a lap in about 1.16.
0: So the, the key thing to keep in mind here.
1: So he has to do an out-lap and then his flying lap.
0: So, and, and I'm trying to find the specific time. So for the Hungarian Grand Prix, according to the race director, that out-lap cannot be slower than 1 minute and 31 seconds.
1: Okay. So, but it, and it's, the out-lap is always a slower lap. Yes, and then you do a flying lap
0: mm-hmm. and you
1: do a cool down lap. That's the way that works. But so you got maybe three minutes left in the session. Your outlap's a minute 30. Now you got a minute 30 left in the
0: session. So it was, no, they went out a lot closer than that. So it would have been closer. What, what had happened was versus, Lewis crossed the line. And, and actually, the first one out was Valtteri. Okay. Then Lewis. Then Max, then Sergio Perez, and anybody else.
1: See, I thought Sergio was further back because he he was the one that missed the red the checkered flag. He he
0: he was behind Max. Okay. And and I think he, I'm, I'm almost positive he was he was right behind Max because Max just barely squeaked in with about a second left, and Sergio lost out completely. The reason why I point out that. Valtteri was the first one out, was because ultimately it was Valtteri setting the pace, not Lewis. Right. So Lewis, the expectation, and that everybody acknowledges, is that Lewis gets to drop back from the car in front of him to make sure that he's got enough room so that he's not impacted by the, the turbulence. Same thing with Max, same thing with everybody behind them. As long as they don't do it in longer than one minute, 31 seconds, it is a legal, a legal outlap. Yes. And they're not in violation. However, more than that. So
1: I heard the p- post-race coverage about this. One of the statements that stuck with me was that they looked at the telemetry and Lewis's outlap was faster on the last outlap than it was on his previous outlap earlier in the session.
0: Yeah, his final Q3 run was five seconds faster than his final run in Q1. Yeah. Okay. His outlap and his, his final Q3 outlap run five seconds faster than his final run in Q1. And was on par with what Bottas was doing ahead of him as they both tried to build a gap.
1: Okay. I don't know exactly why Q1 plays, so I'm trying to figure that the, one out. The
0: reason why is that he went slower in Q1 on his outlap than he did in Q3.
1: But what I'm trying to say is, I thought that the pundits were saying, because he, he did more than one outlap in Q3, and the one the outlap that he did earlier in Q3 was faster faster was slower than the outlap that he did right before Perez lost out on that flying lap. That's where I was trying to go is the way I understood the statement.
0: So look at how the outlaps of the two with medium runs being conducted at a faster pace for tire temperatures. Times were taken from the moment drivers left the garage to the start of their flying laps, including the run down the pit lane. So his Q3 run, so this is, this can't be right. This is odd. Because this says Q3 run one was two minutes 32. Q3 run two was two minutes 44.
1: No, that's exactly what I said. Oh, no, that's the other way. Uh, I Neither, none of it matters. What matters is he did what he was supposed to do. Just because the Red Bulls missed out, then that's not his fault. He
0: he did it. The, the, the reality is it wasn't his slowest out lap. Mm-mm. And the Red Bulls could have gone out earlier. Right. And they did.
1: Right. So they missed it. The,
0: the tactical error that Red Bull made was that they allowed Lewis to get ahead of them. They allowed mm-hmm. Mercedes to get ahead of them. Now... The other thing is, even if this was true gamesmanship, and that was actually the intent that Mercedes was going for, yeah, kinda feels a little unsporting, but it's also kinda par for the course. Yes. And and when I say that, I don't mean par for the course necessarily for Mercedes. I mean par for the course for Formula One. Mm-hmm. You know, we see this kind of stuff all the time, and unlike some of the, the the crap that we've seen in the past, this was not the, well, we're going to hold on the pole. We're just going to go and stop the car in the middle of the track. Yeah. Or in this runoff area and yellow flag or red flag the rest of the session.
1: I mean, how many times have we seen somebody park their car in Monaco to keep pull?
0: Mm-hmm. Just well, case in point. Twice.
1: But it's happened.
0: It's happened.
2: <laughs>
1: so... Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But games happen. I don't think this is one of them. What I think this is, is that Red Bull is desperately trying to clutch onto whatever they can. Because they, they're not liking what's going on right now.
0: They are, but Christian Horner also was very quick to come out and say that, you know, we may not like this, but he did absolutely nothing wrong. Well, the laps were legal. He didn't break any rules, and yeah, it, it it sucks that we lost out, but he didn't do anything wrong here.
1: Well, that's a first for Christian Horner. I mean, after all, he thought that Lewis shouldn't celebrate a win.
0: Well, yeah. So the the war of words that happened. On Friday in particular. Basically Sky spent a good part of a couple of the free practice sessions just bouncing back and forth between Christian Horner and Dodo Wolf. Oh, wow. Because they were sniping at each other basically live.
1: Well, the other thing I noticed in Hungary was the dry... So one of the other stories that came out of Hungary was the driver's conference or the driver's uh, interviews and Max lost it.
0: So and that was post post post-qualify- post qualifying on Saturday.
1: Max lost it which you know kind of just proves the point that it's getting to Max.
0: Yes well we know that Max does not like being asked the same question repeatedly. And you have on top of that, let's be totally honest here, Lewis is definitely messing with Max. Oh, yeah. He is definitely playing mind games, and he is definitely using the press and using the media to his advantage to put pressure on Max. There is no doubt in my mind that he's doing that, and Max has not had that level of intensity put on him on top of a championship fight. Yeah. I mean, he's gotten hard questions repeatedly before, and he snapped about it. But he hasn't had the driver playing games to feed those questions and to feed that.
1: Exactly. So (coughs) it's it's kind of an interesting mind game that's also going on. Because, I mean, let's face it racing like driving is mental.
0: Mhm. So, let's move to the to the race. And before the race even starts, <laughs> we have controversy. Okay. So, and and it happened after the race, but it was for actions that happened before the race. Sebastian Vettel, Carlos Sainz, Lance Stroll and Valtteri Bottas were all called to see the stewards after the race, and they all received a non-driving reprimand. Oh. So what that means, and this this actually does carry um, some issues, is that if any of the drivers receive two further driving-related reprimands within this season, they will face a grid penalty. Oh. What they got called to the stewards for was for wearing T-shirts to the um, National Anthem Ceremony at the start of the race.
2: What's so bad about doing that? That's freedom of expression?
0: Yeah, they're not allowed to do that. I so Why? As part of the, the We Race as One ceremony, they are allowed to wear shirts bearing a political message of some sort as part of that expression. They are not allowed to do that for the national anthem ceremony.
1: Oh, cause I remember last year and that was, I mean, let's face it. Let's call this the Lewis rule. Um, because Lewis was wearing all sorts of political t-shirts, mm-hmm. uh, either on a podium ceremony or in other places. So they are allowed to, cause I was, where I was getting confused when you told me about this was, the We Races One group, there's a lot of them in the black t-shirts that say end racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, but they, they wear that. So they just didn't take their shirts off during the national anthem.
0: Correct. Okay. So what Michael Massey said, he said, earlier this year we clarified and following discussions internally with the FIA and F1, we said we wanted to keep giving all the drivers the ability to have the moment to show effectively their support for we race as one. However, they choose to. But then the national anthem for a particular country should be respected with drivers all wearing their race suits. So it was clarified and made very clear that once that moment was displayed and the drivers showed their recognition, they would have to remove their shirt or anything else they wore and go to the national anthem in their race uniform. And that's been the same for a number of events now. So this is the first event where it has happened since, and all of those drivers that kept their shirts on, so it wasn't just Sebastian, there were four or five drivers, all received a non-driving reprimand for failing to follow the race director's instructions. It was observed by a number of people, including a media delegate who's out there, myself on television. It went from me to the stewards. It was a breach, and that's why it was a reprimand for the first offense. Got it. And initially... And so, so the initial story and initial swirl around this was, was focused on Sebastian Vettel, and that was the thought that this was Sebastian Vettel who was getting punished and not the other drivers. Sebastian Vettel, in particular, because of the shirt that he was wearing, and the reason why he was wearing it. So he was wearing a, a rainbow shirt that said "Same Love" on it, and it was part of actions that he has been taking. He had been taking all weekend specifically to tweak the nose of the Hungarian government. Oh. Yes. So he has been publicly displaying messages is the best way to put it in support of the LGB possibly TQ plus Plus. community. I don't know if it's all of them or some of them, but It is for that community. He has been expressing support for them in Hungary in response to laws that the Hungarian government recently passed against that community. Oh. So showed up at the track on Sunday with rainbows on his shoes. His helmet had a rainbow on it. He's been wearing these rainbow shirts all weekend and stuff like that to express his support for the community.
1: You know something we don't know a whole lot about sebastian vettel because he's so tight-lipped i would have never have pictured him to have you know we know that lewis has an opinion Mm -hmm. basically if lewis has an opinion all of us know yeah i would have never ever pegged Seb for coming out publicly on a stance like this i'm very supportive of him it honestly and you know me i'm not a big seb fan it makes me feel differently about him
0: honestly to the positive in, in the last couple of months the more i'm hearing about seb and, and what he's been doing seb is all of a sudden i mean he a little later than lewis but he's all of a sudden had that awakening that he has a voice and, and people it. listen um, now it's obviously different people than lewis has and, and influences But he's realized that his voice carries influence as well, and we've seen that with um, the stories that came out after Silverstone that he stayed for like two or three hours to help pick up trash in the stands, and that in Austria he did the um, the bee house in the shape of a a race car with kids up in the mountains up in Austria, and he has been doing all of and and folks were saying it in hungry he'd be walking around the paddock and he'd see a piece of trash and pick it up and go throw it away and just you know he was not turning his back on any of this stuff and then there's this activism on top of it and I've heard stories fairly consistently through the years about how Seb as private as Seb is he's actually a really nice guy and, you know, of, of the fans who spot him, whether it's in Austin or somewhere else, and they recognize him like on a race day or a race weekend or something like that, and they go up to him and greet him and say hi and, and, and all of that, and Seb will go, so you come into the race, and they'll be like, yeah, no, I, I couldn't get tickets or something like that, and next thing you know, tickets will show up for them. And that Seb will do stuff like that for fans, and that he actually is kind of a nice guy.
1: Well, that's awesome. I mean, that's awesome. It's awesome that he's also feeling like he's got a platform and he's got a voice Mm -hmm. and he can use it. I'm wondering if some of that comes with the age on the track, knowing that his career is not, he's no longer like fighting for the pinnacle seats or Mm -hmm. having to look like he's conforming to something. And you never know. It could also be that he's got more freedoms at Aston Martin. I mean, Think about it. Well,
0: that's my guess.
1: Lewis was, you know, very tightly controlled at McLaren. That was mm-hmm. one of the advantages for him to go to Mercedes. He got to spread his wings. You know, Ferrari is incredibly tight, mm-hmm. and you're you're kind of starting to see Seb come out <coughs> of his shell a little bit because he. It's like I made it to the the big red team, and I'm not there anymore, and I can be free now. And you're seeing that, and I that, like that's that. That's
0: what I think a lot of it is. And, and honestly, I think Red Bull did it, and, and Red Bull allowed it, but Seb had yet to find his voice and figured out. He was still such
1: he, a young driver at Red I, Bull. I
0: now. don't think he figured out how he wanted to express himself yet. You, you used to see peaks of it at times with him, especially the, the, the last year he won the championship, And you know, savor this now because it made that that was an incredibly mature statement to say, and
2: Mm -hmm. yeah,
1: well, go, Seb.
0: So, that whole ceremony and that situation occurred. In the rain. And and that was what some of the drivers... Well, actually not some. The four drivers who, who, who got in trouble all said it was because of the rain and the confusion and the pandemonium that was going on around it that they didn't take their t-shirt off. They were distracted and all of that stuff. The rain certainly... That, that quick shot... You know, it, it was really similar to like the one and only time it rained in Singapore. Right. Happens right at the start of the race and everybody's going... Well, crap! Now what? Yeah, and resulted in absolute sheer pandemonium within two corners of the start of the race. Same thing in Hungary, right? Yeah, we started off with the enters, which I don't think they did in that first race. That that race in Singapore,
1: I don't think they did, but I don't remember. So yeah, they started on enters, and still had pandemonium.
0: A lot of upset drivers at Valtteri Bottas. Oh, yeah. A lot of upset. A few upset drivers at Lance Stroll. A lot of upset drivers at Valtteri Bottas. Yeah. I'm not... And we'll talk about Valtteri and his situation in a little bit. But... So we... We have two significant incidents all at the same time. And they really weren't independent of each other. Mm -hmm. But two significant incidents... Takes out a, a portion of the field, red flags the race before we finish the first lap. Everybody goes in. Um, they 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 basically rip off the most damaged bits from Max's car and, and replace <laughs> what they can. But apparently, half the floor was still gone. Right. Um, Lando Norris retires. All of that stuff. The rain stops they go to the formation lap and and have their formation lap to get everybody out of the pits and over to the grid because they decide it's going to be a standing start and george russell prophetically calls is there what halfway through hey i think everybody's gonna come in because the track is dry and we had probably the most bizarre (laughs) sight ever
1: One car on the grid because everybody was still on enters.
0: That honestly should be like the picture of the season. The one car on the grid with the five lights and all the way back in the distance, there's the safety car, (laughs) and the dude with the flag running (laughs) across the track. (laughs) Yeah, Lewis got a great start
1: because nobody.
0: Well, the thing is. He could have had a crappy start. No. Nope. He could have stalled out. He still would have been in the lead. Right. Because the way this the, the way the process works is that okay, everybody who goes in or in this case everybody who went in, <laughs> but everybody who goes into the pit, they can't come out of the pit lane. They do not get the green light at the end of the pit lane until the pack in this case, the pack of one, but the pack that starts on the grid has passed the the the, um, the exit of the pit lane.
1: Oh, my. So what happens if there's no car to be the pack?
0: Well, <laughs> so Michael Massey claims that they actually, they were thinking about this as it went around. I don't think he, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe he actually saw that there was going to be the possibility that nobody would be sitting on the grid. I just, uh, we didn't see it coming. Yeah. But according to Michael Massey, what would have happened was the lights would, the cars would have gone into the grid or into the, the pit lane. The light would have stayed red at the end of the pit lane. So nobody could have exited. They would have gone through the whole thing, the, f- the five red lights, the beepy sound to start, that too, you know, because we had the beepy sound. But they would have done the five red lights, they would have done the beepy sound, and then the lights would have gone off.
2: Lights out and away we go.
0: Well, then somebody would have flipped the light to green over in pit lane and folks would have come, been released from the pit lane. Okay. Is what would have happened. And that would have truly been bizarre.
1: Oh, it was. It was such a bizarre experience. But what happened based on this was, and there was another piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. During the formation lap, the teams can't <clears throat> tell the drivers anything. Right. So they, it was the driver's call to decide that they needed to come back in and get slicks. And that was, that. you know, I, I, I don't know what Lewis was necessarily thinking, but I don't, you know, I just don't know whether it even dawned on him that every other car on the grid was going to go get slicks, even though he knew he was going to wind up with slicks pretty quickly.
0: So there's there a couple of things. And actually, I, I, I should add that, um, and, and this is where it actually could have been pretty bad if everybody had gone in. Because according to Michael Massey, once the last car was in the pit lane, not in the box, but in the pit lane, they would have cycled the the lights to start the race. So think about that. You've got the cars that have already made it into the pit lane. Mm -hmm. They're getting their tires swapped out quick as possible. You've got the rest of the grid piling in behind them. And trying to get out as quick as possible, so the race has started because the first, the last car has finally hit that pit lane, and everybody else is freaking out to get the entire grid. Oh yeah, that that would have been, well, the the, the fines and penalties that would have happened there.
1: The unsafe releases. I mean, they mm-hmm. were already having enough unsafe releases, but okay, so. Lewis starts by himself. Mm-hmm. On enters, he makes it around so that he can then pick up slicks, and he's going to have to go through yeah. the grid.
0: So Mercedes' position and Toto Wolff's position was that if Lewis had come in, he would have lost. He would have ended up in the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. They would have lost positions, even if, and, and and we saw it happen with George Russell. George saw the whole took it, and was warned that he had to give that back. And he dropped those positions back. Likely because of where Mercedes' pit box was, it wouldn't have worked out that way for Mercedes. Because remember, Mercedes is the very first pit box on the la- on the, the pit lane. Right. So Lewis would have come in, he would have had to wait for everybody to cycle past, and then take off. OK, so they expected that if Lewis had gone and he would have ended up in the middle of that pack and then had to fight his way through it, which kind of is what happened anyway. Exactly.
1: So but I mean, at some point he drops all the way back and then mm-hmm. works his way through. So it was an exciting race.
0: It, it was. It, we it, had
1: an unexpected winner.
0: We had well, we we had a completely different podium mm-hmm. that anybody would have expected.
1: I know because I did not do well in the fantasy league this week.
0: And Hungary in that was the other thing was that you know I haven't found Hungary to be a particularly exciting race previously because really there's one maybe two places to pass, and normally once Hungary kicks off. Nobody's close enough to even try a move in any of those places. So the race gets dull really fast. And because that grid was mixed up, because we had Lewis further back, because we had some of these other drivers, for whatever reason, that were out of position, we actually saw action in Hungary.
2: Exactly. And good news. <clears throat> Hungary is going to get a, is working on trying to get a five year extension to their contract, so there hopefully if all goes well, they are going to the their contract will end in twenty thirty seven. So who knows? Maybe we'll get more races like this with more passing instead of it being very dull.
1: So in their new contract, do you think that they could guarantee <clears throat> a rainstorm that comes in during the formation lap of every race?
2: No, because I don't think they can control the weather. I mean, have I, I've tried screaming it insults at the sky to make it rain, and somehow it does.
0: So, actually, my question is this. If, what was it, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when we had the first race in Hungary, and it was still behind the Iron Curtain, and mm-hmm. it was such a big deal that Formula One... Was going to go there and it was so novel and so unique that this was a purpose-built racetrack behind the Iron Curtain. And now, with another five years to go, this means that Hungary is probably one of the oldest consistently raced at tracks in the series.
1: It really is.
0: Would anybody have thought that that was possible that year when they were breaking into the iron curtain
1: so if they were a purpose-built track prior to the lifting of the iron curtain yes um then you're looking at 35 years ago because the iron curtain fell in 87. okay so just you know letting you know that you're old
0: Thank you. I I, I, I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> Anytime. That's what I'm here for.
0: So, end of the race. Did you see Lewis? He was um, struggling. He really was. So, he's acknowledged that he had dizziness and everything got blurry up on the podium. He actually is starting to wonder whether or not he's got long covid Oh, no. We know he had COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that he's been fighting all year really with the health and staying what happened at the end of last year. It's, it, he says it's still a battle. Um, he said he hadn't spoken to anyone particularly about it, but he thinks it's lingering. He said he remembered the effects of when he had it and training's been different since then. The levels of fatigue that you get is different and it's a real challenge. He'll just continue to try and train and prepare the best he can. He thinks maybe it's hydration, but uh, he's not had that experience before. He did say that he had something similar in Silverstone, but this is worse. Hmm. Now, Esteban Ocon said that, you know, this was a hard race, even, you know, for the guy up in the front. Yeah. It was hot and it was humid out there and really combine that with the corners. and, And overall, this was a very physical race for them.
1: And also keep in mind, I think that Lewis was fighting with Fernando for so many laps. Yeah. That's not a typical amount of laps that Lewis fights.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, when he's going to pass somebody, he fought He fought Alonso quite hard for that.
0: So, as you mentioned, Esteban Ocon wins the race out of nowhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which, I mean...
1: Oh, his start that put him in that spot
0: mm-hmm.
1: was awesome i mean it was just like he slid through the open area
0: so i mean and and managed to hold on to it mm-hmm. now i will not go so far as much as a couple of folks are saying i will not go so far as say that this is some sort of a breakthrough for reno and it means that they're you know <laughs> that they're going to be regular visitors to the podium i i, I don't see that happening that that's not the case. This this was right place, right time, and the ability to to exploit it.
2: Hold up, who's Renault? I thought they're known as Alpine.
0: The team is Alpine, but they're running a Renault engine, and Renault designed the car, even though they're running as Alpine, and it is the Renault Group.
1: Don't they also refer to them as the Endstone team?
0: Well, there's that too.
1: <laughs> All right. So, <coughs> unlike our Sky Sports uh, compatriots in punditry, we do not tend to take one success as a prediction of future successes. <laughs> so, okay. So, we don't think that Alpine Renault Endstone team is going to start like that. This is their Renaissance moment, any more than we think the double points finish for Williams is a Renaissance moment. <coughs> I mean, we lost five drivers before the second turn, so yeah. <laughs> um, there's that. So, okay, so Ocon wins the race. Awesome. I'm, you know, I'm super happy for him. I mean, what an accomplishment for a guy that had to sit out for a year because he didn't have a seat. All of those things. Vettel is P2. Also awesome because he's, you know, he's in a new team. He's not been doing great especially not doing you know when Lance Stroll is beating you that's kind of bad um yeah
0: but we're starting to see Seb pick up
1: yeah he's getting comfortable in the car so he's P2 and Lewis is trying not to faint in P3 and then
0: well it turns out that Seb's been disqualified
1: so who came in fourth
0: uh, You had to ask that question when I don't have it up in front of
1: you. I'm sorry. Okay.
0: Um,
1: it doesn't matter.
0: Anyway. So what happened and what has caused this is there is a requirement, and, and this requirement's been around for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've seen drivers fall afoul of this in the past. Um, we saw it in 2012 with, with uh, actually, I think it was Lewis Hamilton and McLaren. Yes, Um, that put Pastor Maldonado on pole and ultimately Williams' last win. Um, It's happened to Sebastian Vettel with Red Bull and I think it was Abu Dhabi uh, several years ago as well. Um, The requirement that the FIA has is that at the end of a race, teams must be able to provide a one liter sample of fuel for testing. Um, It's a key to the policing of Formula One and ensures that teams are always running the exact fuel fingerprint that they have registered with the FIA. Um, Now, the FIA has the ability to sample and check fuel at any point over the weekend. Now, I will assume that that does not include between pit stops on Sunday. (laughs) Um, But the, the key point that they look at is after qualifying and after the race. They don't check everybody. It, it it does tend to be random. However, um, if you fail to bring your car back to the pits, that flags you for a check. Mm. So Seb didn't complete his cooldown lap.
1: Yeah, they told him to park it, didn't they? They told
0: him to park the car. That's an instant flag right there to go and check. Mm. now um Esteban Ocon on the other hand yes he didn't bring the car back either (laughs) however because he went past the the line um that didn't flag for check Hmm. because he went further Oh, okay it's this idea that and where this came from actually was in 2012 in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix with Red Bull and Vettel Said qualified third and was told by Red Bull to stop on the track on his lap uh, instead of bringing the car back to the pits. Um, At the time, the regulation said, except in cases of force majeure, as accepted by by the stewards of the meeting, if a sample of fuel is required after a practice session, the car concerned must have first been driven back to the pits under its own power. Mm. Since he didn't bring it back to the pits that raises the flag of, were they trying to precautionary stop the car to make sure the fuel was there? Right. What they've since done. And, and back then they, they realized that there was an acceptable reason and it wasn't for fuel. Um, however, Joe Bauer, who is the the technical delegate, um, they now because they know how much fuel A car burns in a lap. If they tell you, if you get told to stop before you finish, they will calculate how much fuel should be in the tank so that when they pull it, whether or not it, you know, the right amount is there. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, that's not good.
0: Right. So, and that was done specifically. Um, to prevent drivers from stopping on the track to save fuel. Got it. Okay. Um, so it was Esteban Ocon who stopped. Carlos Sainz who was in fourth as well. Um, I think, no, he, Carlos didn't stop. Carlos was fourth.
1: See, you got to my answer my question. Yeah, I
0: did. It was Vettel, Russell, and Latifi. Who stopped and were automatically checked as a result of because they were told to stop on the track. Got it. So the big difference, though, is that Russell and Latifi, there when they pulled the fuel from them, there was a full leader there. Vettel's car did not have. There was only about thirty percent of the required leader.
1: That's a lot.
0: Only thirty percent.
1: That's a lot.
0: Well, no, it's not a lot. That's it's a lot missing. That's <laughs> yes, what I'm you going go. for. There you go. <laughs>
1: That's a big delta.
0: So they take three liters, or, or they take the full liter, rather, because there's three samples that are taken out of that, that full liter. Um, one is on track testing, at the track testing. The other sample goes to the FIA's independent lab for verification, and then the final sam- part of that sample stays with the team. If there is additional fuel needed, it comes from there. So that seems like done deal. Not enough fuel. You're 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 out of it. Mm-hmm. Aston Martin is appealing the qualification, the disqualification.
1: Okay, so what we learned at the top of this show was that you have to bring new and compelling evidence Exactly. <laughs> that is not available to the stewards at the time. So what new and compelling evidence are they bringing?
0: Well, and, and, and that was my first thought was, well, okay, either you have enough fuel or you don't have enough fuel. So what new and compelling, either the fuel's there or it's not.
1: They lifted up a floorboard in the car and found extra fuel?
0: Well, what the team has been adamant that the the data and the calculations from the fuel flow meters show that there's plenty of fuel on board the car to pass the checks. Um, in specific, what the team says is that their data indicates that the amount of fuel in the car at the start and what has been logged as used by the FIA's fuel flow, flow meters. There should be, still be 1.74 liters left in the tank. So the car's been impounded. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the FIA has impounded the car. What Aston Martin says is that they think that a lift pump in the car has failed. And it's because of the failure of the lift pump that they can't pull the fuel out. Okay. So what the appeal is going to be, and what's going to happen? The hearing is going to be on Monday. What the appeal is going to be, we think, is that Aston Martin's going to be given the opportunity to replace just the lift pump, and to try and pull fuel the re- the required amount of fuel out of the bladder. Oh my! Now that's my question. So the car's been impounded. Is that? bladder sealed tight enough that there's no evaporation and nothing has come out. What's the possibility that that fuel has since evaporated out of the car? And they don't know.
1: Well, I would think it's probably very little, honestly. It is a bladder, not a tank. Right. So the thought is that as you use the fuel, there's no air in it, it the the ladder itself compresses right it does not um it's not like the gas tanks on our cars Mm -hmm. that are hard and what isn't gas is air um so my thought is you probably have very little evaporation but what a gamble if that if the lift in it isn't the problem and all of your calculations are this way You got another problem on your hands. well,
0: Well, that becomes the other question of if everybody's, if the FIA and Formula One and Aston Martin all have access to this data, and this data is saying that there should be over a liter of fuel in this car, and yet they weren't able to extract it, it does make you wonder, what's the deal with the data?
1: Right. Now,
0: So this could actually be interesting.
1: It could. Definitely more interesting than tires. Now, there is a possibility.
0: Or, or Red Bull's
1: reenactment. Alban, like, go that, drive like. Well, well, that's
0: that's that's it. Is is Alban available? Can can he validate to make sure that, that, that no, if you, you Albon, drive like this, there would still be that much fuel in there?
1: Albon's job is to go drive like Hamilton. I mean, that's that's the, his job. Is it
2: at all possible that maybe Vettel pushed the car, car so hard that he used so much? Well, fuel? that was my initial thought.
1: Except that the fuel <coughs> flow meter in the car. This I mean this. Hercule Perot has a a, a mystery on his hands. Um, The fuel flow meter will measure the amount of fuel being used at any given point in the race. So if he's pushing harder, the fuel flow meter should be catching that to be able to say, you know, it used more fuel. So it's measuring how much fuel is being
2: used. Then how the then how does the lift pump have anything to do with that? Because that's it, so, how they get the fuel out.
0: Yeah, you have to pull the fuel out and be able to provide the fuel for a sample. So if they can't get the fuel out for to provide enough fuel for the sample, th- and that's what happened, they couldn't pull enough fuel out to to meet the requirement for the sample. And my initial thought when I when the the news first broke that there was not enough fuel in the car and he was being disqualified for that my initial thought was Seb was pushing so hard that the team wasn't staying on top of the fuel. And, and remember, there, there's a maximum amount of fuel that they can consume anyway. Mm-hmm. But that the team didn't stay on top of it like they should have. That that was my initial thought, which I'm like, that's a rookie mistake. They should have known better than that. That's, the, the team's been around long enough. That shouldn't have happened. It... Yes, he was pushing. And apparently, in listening to some of the other conversations around this, Hungary is a fuel-limited track. It's not unusual for drivers to be told that they need to do fuel conservation at Hungary. And at some point, Esteban Ocon was actually told he needed to lift and coast to conserve fuel. Mm -hmm. We do know that Seb was pushing harder because he was trying to catch... But even at the end of that race, he was getting told that he needed to be mindful of the fuel levels.
1: Okay. So I've got other questions. Okay. All right. If we assume that the fuel flow (coughs) meter is correct Mm -hmm. and undamaged, then the only way that you don't have enough fuel at the end of the race, based on all the calculations, is if there was not enough fuel put into the system at the start. So that would be one set of questions, unknown at this point. This fuel lift pump that could have potentially failed that would allow the fuel to be extracted, that poses another question for me. Okay. Because in the sporting regulations that you know I read, um, it says that you must be able to provide one liter sample of fuel. Mm-hmm. It does not say that there's still a, a liter in the car. Correct. And you have a failed pump. So here's the question I have is even if let's pretend it's the pump, <coughs> that they really had mm-hmm. 1.7 liters left and it's the pump that failed on them. They still failed to be able to provide the fuel. They failed it at that point.
0: So, what I would guess w- would be the response... W- what the FIA's position would be at that point is that because it was a mechanical failure and this was not the team playing games, as opposed to you use more fuel than you were supposed to and you didn't have enough left, I think the FIA would allow that. and And I wouldn't have a problem with the FIA saying due to a mechanical problem you were not able to extract the fuel as opposed to there's not the required amount of fuel in the tank because that's what they're really going after
1: right but the the regulation is written it does not say you must have a liter of fuel in the tank it says you must be able to extract a liter of fuel out of the car at the end of the race and Full stop, and one of the many reasons I asked you who's fourth, it's a Ferrari driver. Do you think that it is possible that Ferrari would not contest Aston Martin's contesting of this because of the way the sporting regulation is written? I mean, we all understand. We're all human. We get it. The part failed, you couldn't get out of it what was in there. The rule is, the, the intent of the rule is that you don't use more that you, than you're supposed to, that you don't light load the car. All of those things. We all get all of that intellectually. But at the end of the day, the regulation is written, you must provide. Aston Martin was incapable of providing. Providing
2: no they were capable of doing so it was just a mechanical issue on
0: the yeah car. but that meant that they could they were incapable so the the reality is by the time you're hearing this
1: we'll know the answer we'll know
0: the answer cuz the hearing is is monday
1: which in recording time is tomorrow and in listening time is behind you <laughs> right <laughs> okay
0: so you'll know the answer so that'll be interesting to see i it's Ferrari, so I don't know. They'll
1: There's write a really letter. The best
0: way I'll go with it.
1: I'm telling you, they'll
0: write a letter. So probably with Mercedes. Other penalties and, and issues that occurred: Valtteri Bottas got a five-place grid penalty for ha- causing an unavoidable accident. <laughs> I'm not sure I see it that way. Yeah. Um. Honestly, the the, the way I see it, and and. Yeah, the way they've been behaving, they, they kind of, their hand was forced here. But really what I see this is that first lap incidents, there, there's no grace anymore. No, there's we're, we're done with that and give it a year and we're going to see the true impact of, of the, this decision. Yeah. Really what's happening there. Um, so in other news. hmm Going a completely different direction now. Okay. Um, word came out this week that um, Netf- Netflix will be releasing on September 15th a documentary about Michael Schumacher, which is fully supported by the family.
2: Oh, wow. I'm reading the article title. It says new Michael Schumacher documentary. Do we talk about the old one or is that something that's like a big secret in this world?
0: I'm not familiar with any other documentaries. I'm sure there are, but I mean, it's new because whatever is being released, it hasn't been released before. So, but it's a documentary that they're releasing that does have the support of the family. So we'll see how far they go before they stop.
1: Yeah. I have a feeling it will solely (coughs) focus on his race career. Oh yeah, definitely. Probably that he ceased to exist when he came off the track.
0: And and then it'll be to focus on Nick. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll see where that They'll talk about
1: the legacy.
0: Yeah. So don't have big details yet on calendar for next year. However, it is looking like Formula One will have two tests next year. Um, One in Barcelona, one in Bahrain. Uh, word is the teams are pushing hard for Barcelona because, um, with the COVID restrictions and the travel and all the other stuff, and and we still think that there's going to be COVID restrictions, keeping everything in Europe is attractive to them. However, it does also sound like Formula One is leaning towards the season opener for 22 being in Bahrain, Mm. which would dovetail with session two of winter testing being in Bahrain.
1: Got it. Okay, that makes sense.
0: And finally, announced today, McLaren has announced that they are acquiring a majority stake in the Arrow McLaren SP IndyCar team. Okay. um, They're acquiring a 75% share in the team, which means basically McLaren is committed to IndyCar for at least the near term nice uh yes so team was originally founded by former IndyCar racer Sam Schmidt in 2001 with Rick Peterson joining in 2013 to form Schmidt Peterson Motorsports
1: that's the SP
0: yes or SPM, M for the motorsports part yeah um and right now Patricio Award is second in the IndyCar Championship
1: yes he's doing very well yeah I did not stalk him when we were at Road America.
0: No, it wouldn't have been that hard though. No, (laughs) it would
1: not have been, but I did not stalk him.
0: You know, from, from what we saw, it would have been a matter of Patricio hearing, Oh, you're looking for me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was not the stalking that I was doing of Roman Grosjean. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will say that he did not file charges and I have not had a uh, do not contact order submitted.
2: That we know of. <laughs>
1: um, all right. We have a little bit. That was your last story. Yes. We have a little bit of housekeeping we have to do towards the end of this show.
0: Yeah, because I'm sure absolutely nobody will be surprised that, hey, there won't be a show next week. Or the week after. Oh, yeah.
2: Darn, I was looking forward to running my own podcast. The David spin-off series has a good ring to it.
1: Yeah, you have no idea how to do all the things that Dad does.
2: Dad could teach me.
1: Um, so we have um we are taking the same kind of Formula 1 break that the Formula 1 drivers and teams are taking. So we are required so by go- the sporting regulations So wait, we're going
0: to go to Monaco? No. Oh.
1: No, we're going to the Monaco of the Midwest. Um, No, we're not. Anyway. Anyway, um, by the sporting regulations, all the teams are required to take, of the three weeks off, they must take 14 consecutive days away from working.
0: Mm -hmm. No email either.
1: No email. They got to do none of it. Um, So we will be honoring our portion of that over the next 14 days. So we'll see you back in Spa.
0: And on that, we'll call it a show.